0: You may confront people who are experiencing mental illness or who are addicted and the reality is and we know from research is that may not be the cause of their homelessness it may be the consequence of their homelessness homelessness is unbelievably traumatic mental illness is a logical outcome addiction is a logical outcome as a a coping mechanism
1: Everybody, welcome to another episode of The Bituation Room. It's a podcast. It's a live stream. It is your best friend. That's right. No, you don't need anybody else. You just need this. I sure I'm only here for you once a week, but like, that's all you need with friends. Um, Thank you guys so much for being here, for pressing play, for taking the plunge. God damn it. You're here, you're on YouTube, give this stream a like, share it, let the people know what the fuck you get up to every Sunday night, and uh, if you're listening as a podcast, hey, throw this podcast some stars, pew, 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 was that five? And what up, Twitch, thank you so much for being here, we've got such a good show for y'all today, all right? Comedian Katrina Davis is here, we are going to get into some things Um, Namely, uh, good news for the first time in a long time. Amazon has a union in this country for the first time. And that is cause for celebration and discussion. And I'm super pumped. So uh, I just, mm, I, I, we needed this, right? We all needed this. I mean, obviously the workers needed the most, but like also makes me feel good. Uh, Makes me feel happy to know that Jeff Bezos is just shrinking in his little, like, Muppet Babies cowboy hat that he uses to go to space in. Um, Also, we're going to talk about a few missing hours of Trump phone calls on January 6th. What the hell is that about? Um, Surely nothing to be alarmed over. And then we're going to invite Professor Greg Colburn of the University of Washington on to discuss his latest book, um, which is all about... The root causes of homelessness. What is it? I mean, it's sort of in the name, right? Homelessness, right? Unhoused. There's a sort of, I don't know what it, if it's the, there's something in that name that's like a giveaway for like, why? I I just, anyway, if you know, I mean, maybe the professor can help us sort of understand like what's going on. He's done a lot of research. So very excited to have him on, and then finally, don't you think that this podcast is above the slap heard around the world? Uh, uh-uh. uh, because we got off of the show last week, and then Will Smith slapped Chris Rock, and I was like, "What? Why didn't you think of me? <laughs> Why? Nothing happened Sunday night. What the fuck? Come on!" So we have a little take on it. We've got a uh, um a sports take on the the slapdom we're calling it march slapness and this is who we believe should go to the final rounds of who deserves to be slapped the most it's not going to be either will smith or chris rock you'll be surprised or unsurprised to know but we're going to we're playing these brackets we're talking about them we're placing bets katrina's going to join me it's going to be great And then finally, if you are so generous as to be a patron of the show, you know you get bonus content. So today we're talking about the crazed anti-choice activist whose home was raided only to discover she was keeping fetuses in a freezer. Cool, cool. They love Jesus. Oh, God. WWJD. Keep a fetus in a fridge. I'm pretty sure that's in the Bible. Uh, anyway, so uh, she's going to join me uh, in talking about that So if you're not up And if you're not riding with a frantifa What's she doing? I mean, honestly, what are you waiting for? Patreon.com slash Bituation Room Is where you go to support this uh, scrappy little labor of love I call a podcast Slash uh, a makeshift career Slash income And uh, it is no small feat for all of you who, who do subscribe to the Patreon And so don't ever Ever Doubt how wonderful and precious you are uh, to me, mostly to your family, second, but and everyone else, your cat and dog, third, probably. But anyway, thank you guys so much. As you know, if you're a ten dollar or more uh, patron, I give you a shout out. Also, I want to start birthdays. So, again, please tell me when your birthday is. I have a, a Google calendar. I know that's weird. It'll just be on my little secret no, your birthday. So I want to um, not only give you a shout-out when you join, but give you a little birthday love as well every time. Um, and if you are a patron, uh, uh, an upper echelon patron, <laughs> the innermost cabal, I'm restarting the AMAs, guys. I know I was slipping with them. So Tuesday, April 12th at noon Pacific, I'm going to do the AMAs. It doesn't matter. You don't have to be there live. You can get access to it. But send me your questions to bitiation at gmail.com. Uh, or, or you can send it through the Patreon or just, just send questions. What do you guys want to talk about? What do you want to throw down about? Like, let's get into some things, be there live, don't be there live. And all patrons get access to listening, but only top tier patrons can ask me a question. Um, that's how that shit works. Uh, also, obviously if you're top tier patron, you get free merch like every three months, you know? And when I run out of merch, you just get a lock of my cat's hair. So there are perks. Okay. No big deal. There's also merch Habituationroom.com. And, uh, again, support the show, however you can. Appreciate you for being here. And with that, let's get into the goddamn show for real. Um, This is What Are You Bitching About? Okay, so... I'm bitching about something that periodically sort of it's like a spin the wheel of Francesca's thoughts. You know, it already, always comes up. We're like, tick, 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 tick. ah, nepotism in the media once again. Here we go. And and this week, um, we found out two things. So not only is uh, White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki going to be on MSNBC um, and stealing my slot, obviously, um, She's actually going to be on Peacock, uh, which is, again, fine because nobody watches that shit anyway. So whatevs. But she's going to be moving to MSNBC immediately from the White House. Just a seamless, revolving door. No conflicts of interest whatsoever. I'm sure she will very objectively report on what's going on inside the Biden administration. And I'm sure she'll burn all her contacts Uh, Once she gets into her new media position, it's just it's so obvious. Why? Why does everyone have to be someone's child, like the daughter of a politician or someone who's been in media? It's like, I don't know, like I'm fuck. I live in L.A., man. Like shit is nepotistic here. It's fucking nepotistic as fuck in Hollywood. Right. If your parents were somebody, you got it made. I think D.C. and the media might be worse. Like, I think it actually might be worse. And we don't learn our lessons, right? So it's like Chris Cuomo and, and Governor, uh, what, what's his face? Cuomo. Big hands, Cuomo. You know that guy, Touchy? That guy. Nobody thought that that would be a problem from Jump at CNN. No, no, of course they did. That's partly why you hire people's brothers and children, et cetera, et cetera. And the list goes on. There's a lot of names out there, Right. And yet they, it keeps on happening. It keeps on happening. So, and it's okay. So, so there's Jen Psaki, but then there's also Mick Mulvaney, who was, is a former Trump administration, um, whatever the hell he was. He was basically the dude who was like, uh, COVID's not real. Everyone's killing themselves. Um, and like, uh, essential workers. I don't know. He's, he's just like the fucking worst. He is the worst guy. and. He's on CBS. He's got a new CBS gig. He's going to be a contributor. Um, Just again, failing up. Oh, he 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 was proudly, proudly um, bragged about the quid pro quo between Ukrainian president um, uh, Zelensky. And the Trump administration, remember, before the whole war happened, what Trump was doing, which was trying to extort him for money, you know what I mean? Like like military aid. It's kind of like they could have used it then. Um, He bragged about that, called COVID a hoax. This motherfucker's getting hired at CBS. Now, I'm sure Democrats are very mad about that. In fact, Stephen Colbert. I like Stephen Colbert, but he went off. He was, like, mad about his own company, CBS, you know, hiring Mick Mulvaney. All fine and good. But the fucking so-called left, the liberals, the so-called liberal media, they do the same thing. And this is what this is what I really this is the problem with it is we are on just a hamster wheel to hell. It is a status quo death march. And if we keep having the same kinds of inner circle um like silver spoon media figures. We never ask the right questions. We never ask interesting questions. Our framework is so fucking narrow. And we march ourselves right back into the mouths of fascism or real fascism every time. And not only that, not only is it Saki, but it's someone like Mick Mulvaney who's like, oh, yeah. I mean, you did whatever. We did let you in and I'm like, fine. Are you going to grease the wheels of neo-fascism? That's amazing. Get Am I bitter? Hell yeah, I'm bitter. Am I jealous? Fuck yeah. Because it's bullshit. Because it's such bullshit. And like I hate being the only I was like mainstream media is all bad. It's not all bad. It's not all bad. But stop making us hate you. Stop making us hate mainstream news. We like reporters, we like real reporting, but please give us a reason to tune into your fucking uninformed beltway opinions. I'm sorry. All right. I hope you guys are as mad about it as I am. Oh, NATO green in the comments. Like, pfft, who's that? Who's that? Never heard of him. Won't even return my phone calls. NATO green is, uh, he, he, he needs to be on the show soon, but his home is undergoing a remodel. <laughs> you know, what that is It's just crazy making. No, anyway, um, guys, let me, let me shut the hell up and let's bring in my comedic guest, my satirist comedic guest <laughs> my guest for the hour i'm so happy to have her uh, she's a baltimore born florida raised stand-up comic living in la named one of timeouts timeout la's comedians to watch she's also the host of the podcast and live show the best Friends show oh hey let's talk about best friends please welcome katrina davis
2: Hello. <laughs>
1: Hi. Thank you. For,
2: thank you so much for having me.
1: Thanks you for being here is what I was going to say. Um, <laughs> Katrina, uh, we start this show off. You this the first time you're on the show. We we started yes. off the same way, which is uh, just getting into our feelings and asking you what what you're bitching about. What is crawled up your butt and died, so to
2: speak. Mm, I try. To I mean, I feel like you always have very valid situations that I've just accepted. Who like, me? yes. Like you say things that I agree with and would absolutely be mad about if I hadn't totally accepted our <laughs> species as flawed. <laughs> uh, and so and I'm always like great the point. Whole
1: part. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'm just like, you have some great points, and I think that this is. Um, our own doing. And I don't know if we will evolve past it, uh, or if it will be (laughs) somebody else. I'm actually literally working on a joke where it's like, I uh, think that there might just be a fish waiting to grow legs that has like a better hold on renewable resources and empathy. Um,
1: i wish so maybe. Man. Just like I, one of like the really really bottom dwellers with like what the light on its head and yes like, i've got it from here you know that exactly kind of like- he's like you've got it all wrong and he's just like <laughs> horrible looking
2: we would judge him and he has all the answers totally
1: um, he's like actually really benevolent
2: and kind yes so i feel like i have very minor ones which mine right now is um, people who do not exert their authority when they're in charge of a line.
1: A, a line? Oh, a,
2: like a physical yes. line. A physical line. So like, Ooh. um, because comedy is back. Hello, everyone. I do stand up. So like I was going to a show. People are showing their vaccination cards and their IDs. We've had to do this for a while. People still love scrolling for their phones. Thro- for- Phone for their vaccine card. Literally put anywhere else. You've taken 50 pictures today. <laughs> so I'm waiting for the girl in front of me to like scroll through half of the memories she made this month to get to her vaccine <laughs> card. And someone tried to skip like the entire line uh-huh. and was just doing that thing where you just try to walk super fast so that no one stops you. And it's like, no, you actually need to show someone like that you're vaccinated to get in here. You're not that cool. Yeah. Um. And then that person skipped me and I was just sitting there waiting to be to, for them to realize not only me but like the twenty people behind me. Like this isn't even about me. It's like there's literally a line of people that you have nothing to do with. And one of the people was like, "Oh, did we skip you?" And I wasn't really as mad at them, and I was mad at the spineless person that was checking IDs and vaccine cards to not be like, "Oh, hi, you can go over here where everyone else is because that's what we're doing here." So I was immediately <laughs> just called at, at like, you called it out. I Well, no, because then I would have just been yelling at a door person, which I'm sure they have enough to deal with. But, like, honestly, exert your authority. So oh. that's why. <laughs> because it's, like, not necessarily your responsibility to know if there's a line, but it is someone's responsibility to work there to check you and let everyone else know that, like, you can stand up to egomaniacs that think that this entire, like, club was built for them.
1: Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I do think, like, I think I, as much as I hate bouncers, you know, like, there is, like, when people work events, you, you you have to, like, psych them out and be like, whose line is this? Like, my line, motherfucker. You know, like, you gotta, like, like there's gotta be a school <laughs> of they, bouncers, you know.
2: They do that. There's, like, an and one commercial, but it's just bouncers. Um <laughs> right, but- right, right, right. <laughs> But what you were saying made me realize that, like, they, I guess, are just picking newscasters the same way that they pick sportscasters, where they just pick, like, if you're too tired to do it anymore, then they're like, well, you know the ins and outs of it. You should just talk about it. And it's like, "Mm, that's way more opinion-based than what you're trying to do. I feel like they're just trying to roll over the formula and be like we'll have a charles barkley of
1: (laughs) cbs it'll
2: be fine right it's like or that there's something that happens
1: in like the birth canal or like all of the information you've gleaned as a reporter or a host just like passes to your child like that's not how it works at all i wish it worked like that If, if anything
2: most of the children if you're great at something will either be great at something else or not at all be into what you know what i mean like Mm. i don't know i don't know don't
1: get me started on the gilded age because i do not think meryl streep's daughter is good i'm sorry she's boring she's a bad actor (laughs) i was just thinking it isn't like blacksmithing
2: where like as a child someone is like wait let me show you the ways of like you know (laughs) this is for survival (laughs) Let me show Not. you the ways of being unbiased in your opinions. Like, I don't think that's how people are like, one day, all of this land will be yours to cover. <laughs> like, just showing, like, there's a Mufasa of journalism just, like, passing everything down. But, like, teaching them along the way, I don't think that's what's happening. I do.
1: I feel like uh, that is that is how Rupert Murdoch, like, talks to his kids. Except one day it'll never be theirs. And he's like, <laughs> suckers um but that is he does talk to them like well like he's more of the scar anyway we got to get into the week so much happened this week a few little things i noted um this was the week where sarah palin announced that she is running for congress in alaska uh, to fill the seat of a deceased Don Young, uh, and that's crazy because like I thought the GOP didn't believe in climate change. Why are they recycling? Um, sorry, Russian troops have been accused of war crimes like mass executions and cluster bombs, but Putin wouldn't know since apparently right now he is in a self-imposed isolation bubble where he only receives good news. He is in the inside the equivalent of like an authoritarian Pinterest board where it's like all just like puppies and flowers and pillows that say things like it's winning the war o'clock, you know, <laughs> I was supposed to say, did he put on war earmuffs? What's happening right now? That's exactly, that is exactly right. Um, and finally, uh, representative Madison Cawthorn is in trouble with fellow Republicans for claiming that his colleagues, 60 and 70 year old Congress people engage in orgies. And I, for one, never thought I agreed with the GOP more than now. Cause like, yes, Madison Cawthorn, shut the fuck up, please. No, nobody wants to hear about Lindsey Graham doing an eight ball off of someone's long balls. Um, For everything else, this is The Week Where. This was The Week Where. We learned uh, a lesson, very important lesson, which is that you can't turn your back on Earth for a second because the terrestrial plebes fuck around and form a union. That's right. While Jeff Bezos was sending other Richies into space, workers at an Amazon warehouse in Staten Island formed the first union at any Amazon facility in the entire country. Here was their reaction when they found out the vote was in their favor. you That's right. That's the Amazon Labor Union. Um, And so this happened at the JFK 8 fulfillment center, where 8000 people currently work. Uh, The vote was 2654 to 2131 with a 58% turnout, which is very, very good for uh, for union drives. I mean, over 50%. Um, here's what one of the lead organizers, Christian Smalls, Chris Smalls, uh, said speaking on the victory. And he had previously, by the way, uh, he was, we'll get into him, but he's been fired for organizing. And he was called um, not smart and inarticulate by an internal memo um, from Amazon CEO. So here's here's Chris Smalls.
3: Uh, we, we got the juggler. We went for the juggler. And we went for the top dog because we want every other industry, every other uh, business to know that uh, things have changed. We're going, we're going to unionize. We're not going to quit our jobs anymore. And uh, you know, this is a prime example uh, of what, what the power that people have when they come together. Our story, our reality is what we live in. The customers need to know that. And if they don't support that business, then they don't stand in solidarity with the workers and their customers that come from the same community. So that's just, you know, I'm not going to call a boycott yet, but, you know, I'm going to say is this, that stand in solidarity with the workers here, stand in solidarity with the workers in any community that has a, a Amazon facility because they affect your community. I know plenty of times Amazon set up a building and, and people in the community are upset because of the traffic they cause, because of the pollution they cause. There's a lot of different issues to talk about when it comes to Amazon, but I can tell you what, Amazon doesn't. Become Amazon without the people, and we make it. We make Amazon what it is. We <abdomen�> did it! <careghews> ey, 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 wait, wait, wait a wait a wait, minute, wait, 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 wait We gotta thank Amazon because they made this all possible. Nah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: all right, there you have it. Um, so surrounded by workers again. ALU is a little bit different. So before I get your reactions, I want to go into kind of like the details of who these leaders are what this union was able to do um so that's christian smalls and he and derek palmer led this initiative both of them worked at Staten island amazon fulfillment center palmer still works there but smalls was fired from the job in 2020 in march after he led a protest outside of the warehouse asserting that amazon was not doing enough to protect workers from covid including not having adequate social distancing ironically as its reason for firing smalls Amazon said he violated social distancing rules. Like,
3: (laughs) it's amazing.
1: You lead a protest against, like, for safer conditions and they fire you for, like, not keeping six feet. It's just, that's such brilliant, like, corporate Machiavellian, you know, moves. I love it.
2: I mean, I hate it. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, they could have picked anything. So I feel like they kind of picked that on purpose.
1: Totally. They picked a random, <laughs> exactly. A random thing. They were like, um, "Like you could have picked insubordination. You know what I mean? You didn't have to make it that. Thing. Exactly. Um, Chris also said, uh, we want to thank Jeff Bezos for going to space because while he was so up nice. there, we were signing people up, um, which is very funny. I, I don't know if Bezos himself went to space this week. He sent some other idiots to space. I don't It doesn't matter. It's a great fucking line. Um, but I do want to talk about because this is a different approach than what we saw in like in, in Bessemer, Alabama, where the vote count, they just had another um, another vote count and uh, another vote. And it is too close to call. There's some ballots in in question. So TBD on that. Um, but this was very different because it was an independent effort. Um, so Smalls boasted that. His effort would succeed, even though a union drive at Amazon Warehouse in Bessemer failed last year because the Staten Island effort was led by current and former Amazon workers and included few outside organizers. Many employers, employees, including Palmer, vigorously talked up unionizing inside break rooms. And during lunch, they also distributed literature in the workplace and wore pro-union T-shirts. Palmer and others showed a fearlessness that encouraged their coworkers to speak up and show their pro-union colors publicly. Um, I am really interested in this because I do think not only is it kind of a little bit of a slap in the face to, I mean, it's a giant slap in the face to Jeff Bezos and Amazon and all the like, we don't need a union, but also not a slap in the face, but a little bit of a like, you know, sort of some smelling salts to the labor movement to say, yo, this is an independent union that did some really incredible shit and flew under the radar and was able to win. And, you know, traditional unions haven't they haven't had that many wins lately, you know, and I think a lot of the Starbucks workers are also showing that this is not to dump on unions or the importance of them, especially that infrastructure. Being able to tap into that is so huge because obviously we'll see what comes next. with ALU. But anyway, that's just, you know, it was a, it was a different different approach. Um, I wanted to just go into like what they're demanding. So, y'all, they're demanding paid sick leave, not just PTO, because apparently now when you get sick, they have to dip into your PTO. Uh, they want more than a 15-minute break that was cut from 20 minutes, a raise in wages, obviously, and, like, actual Amazon transportation to take people to and from work. You know, the way, like, Google has, like, the Google bus and all that, which I find annoying as hell, but it's like, at least it's free for those people and, you know, you don't have to, you know, whatever, spend money on gas. Um, but it it's kind of ironic because one of the things – that happened was that um, these organizers were at bus stops, public bus stops. And that's partly how they got to organize some of the workers because workers would use the bus every single day. And so they would be there and just kind of, you know, like talk to them. Whereas I don't know if you heard about what happened in, in Alabama and in Bessemer. It was like Amazon changing the timing of lights so that people wouldn't even be able to stop for 30 seconds so that a worker or a union organizer could come in and talk to them and like, you know, in, while they were in their car. Just, like, all kinds of... It's just really interesting to see that, like, in a city where you've got a lot of foot traffic and, like, public transportation, they were... It was easier to organize because people are already kind of, like, close-knit, you know? Um, But Katrina... In a
2: city, I feel like you have less control over... Like once people leave that building, like you said, you're in gen pop again. So if you're depending on what you're like growing up in the South, like even what you're saying about buses or any kind of transportation, you're either at home or you're at work. Right. And there isn't a lot of city buses. Like, I don't know what Bessemer is like, but there isn't necessarily the same kind of transit that you would see in New York where you have all these other places to Kind of converse with each other. There's like no in between. Right. So
1: no, that's like
2: get each other's number or something. Yeah, I don't know where they would have had the time to kind of like make each other feel because I feel like I would be the safest people I can see just wanting to put their head down.
1: Yeah. And totally. thinking
2: about the potential consequences of actually even considering a union or like you were saying, wearing a T-shirt, like they can be like these little young boys can do whatever they want. But I got three kids and be like, I can support you all day, but I'm not putting anything in jeopardy or you know what I mean?
1: Yeah. So.
3: And
2: it's
1: it's a really hard barrier to get across. And I think that, you know, there's nothing all my union organ- organizer friends are always saying the same thing, which is like there's nothing more galvanizing than a victory. And like having yes. this kind of win you know, it's like it always seems impossible until it happens. And so it always seems like, that. Ah, yeah, these just, you know, it's going to be expensive or too much work or da, 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 the dues. Yep. And then it just happens. And it's like, oh, shit, this is yep. incredible. And I did want to say everyone, you know, the media is focusing on him. Amazon was focusing on him. But Chris Smalls, when you watch him and you hear his responses to some of the questions he's pointedly asked, like, you know, so what do workers want? What's the next thing? He's like, he's like, look, well, well, no, he's like, look, that's for the union to decide. We have a union now. Like, it's not, Mm. I'm not, I don't drive this. It is a democratic process we vote just like we just voted oh, after form. the win they were like what's next and you were like we are
2: all going to do this together exactly
1: he was like you know mm-hmm. he, w- he was saying some very concrete things but others it was just like that's for us to decide the the, the point is now that we've won we'll see <laughs> exactly and i think that's really important because we love to put all this you know shine on one person yeah and then watch them fall or watch them exactly. mess up you know
2: Right? For him to immediately be like, this isn't about me. This is a collective thing exactly. for everyone. Well, everything he was saying about the community and being like, these are the people in their building. You know people that work here. Like, even the things that I was reading about the reason that non-employees care, it's because their sister can't take a bathroom break or their right. sister-in-law or people in their family that, like, At some point, you want them to be able to have a job you think
1: they are treated fairly at. yeah. So or they're peeing in bottles as they're trying to like rush to deliver everything like that peeing in bottles story with Amazon that just came and went. It was like, I mean, it's obviously still a problem, but Amazon hasn't addressed that. They haven't been like, okay, we're changing. I mean, look, we're slowing it down. It's three day prime so people can pee. It's like, no, 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 no. They're just they just denied it. And we're like, we try yeah. to provide. In fact, here's their statement from uh, from the Union Drive, successful Union Drive. They said, <clears throat> "Disappointed. We're so disappointed. We're not mad. Ah, we're just the disappointed. Outcome. They're like a they're like a stern parent. We're disappointed with the outcome of the election in Staten Island because we believe having a direct relationship with the company is best for our employees. You know, where we directly bark orders at them and tell them." as individuals so they feel completely intimidated <laughs> yes yes we're evaluating our options this is rich including filing objections based on the inappropriate and undue influence by the nlrb so the national labor relations board which is like in what world has the nlrb ever been like uh like a, a crazy politicized uh entity um, well, and
2: like you said the idea that you this parental like you're being influenced like these are adults that got a job at your warehouse and now you're acting like they don't have the competency to not be immediately swayed yeah like I think they're aware of whether or not they like their working conditions or not.
1: No, <laughs> like, it's it's totally a way, like you're saying, it's, like, to infantilize people.
2: That's what, like, an abusive boyfriend would do if your friends tried to take you out. Like, you're in between, so they want to be your direct line of communication. Yes. Because you have stronger units being like, you
1: know what? That's messed up. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, look, we have all know the Scientology ploy. You just separate. These are the Thetans. You separate people from, you know, the, uh, the the thetans in their lives, the bad influences, i.e. the people trying to help them, therapists. Well, and best,
2: best for who? When they said it's best for our employees, how is that the best for them? What is so much better, like, they're acting like a union is this middleman that what wouldn't have their
1: best interests at heart. You know what I mean? Like, and it's funny because they can't even say like big union fat cats. Cause again, this is like a grassroots new union. Like this is not an established union. So like even that line of that BS line of, of attack doesn't even hold water. So I'm super curious. and, And we talked about, you know, when, when NATO gets back on the show, I'm excited for his thoughts too. Meanwhile, you know amazon employs a million people in this country a million and 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 they unlike other you know multinational corporations they can't they can't ship jobs abroad because their entire model is based on having warehouses locally mm. to be able to get you your goods asap like right uh-huh. and so so they have to deal with the american workforce whether they like it or not of course they hate it and, and I'm, I'm sure they're like, oh, as soon as we can get these guys into robots, you know, they're just like, they're taking their money. And instead of like giving people a raise, they're just investing in AI. Like, I'm sure of it. Um, but all to say, this is going to have ripple effects. I'm excited to see what happens, not just in Bessemer, but throughout, you know, Amazon warehouses, again, a million people employed, whether it's a driver, warehouse worker, whether it's even someone who works in corporate, right? They've been quashing efforts in corporate as well to do minor things like reduce the amount of packaging that Amazon sends out. So no, it's, the clock is ticking on you, Sir Bezos, even though I know in the time we talked about this story, you got probably a billion dollars richer. Let's go to our next story. So this was the week where we found out uh, that like the piece of scalp he had removed to squanch the bald off his head, uh, Donald Trump has a lot of communications from January 6th that are missing. Uh, That is according to the January 6th Congressional Committee investigating the events of that day. Um, So they've now discovered, they knew maybe there was some withholding. But now we know exactly how much withholding there's been. This is from the Washington Post. Internal White House records from the day of the attack on the U.S. Capitol that were turned over to the House Select Committee show a gap in President Donald Trump's phone logs seven of 7 hours. hours and 37 minutes. The whole freaking day. It's a pretty long chunk of time, including the period <laughs> when the building was being violently assaulted, according to documents obtained by Washington Post and CBS News. Um, hang on. Uh, the Wow. Uh, let's see. So just so you guys. Let's see. Okay. So there was a lack of oh. any official White House notation of any calls placed to or by Trump for 457 minutes on January 6th from 11.17 a.m. to 6.54 p.m. means the committee has no record of his phone conversations as his supporters descended onto the Capitol, battled overwhelmed police, and forcibly entered the building, prompting lawmakers and Vice President Mike Pence to flee for safety. Now, Remember how Trump was trying to sue to not even turn over any of these documents and he lost that. But Clarence Thomas obviously voted that, yeah, you know, he should keep the documents. Um, then we found out that his wife was basically helped plan to stop the steel rally. The point is, there is something called the Presidential Records Act. That requires the preservation of memos, letters, notes, emails, faxes, and other written communications related to a president's official duties. National Archives website states the presidential diary should be a chronological record of the president's movements, phone calls, trips, and meetings. So, you know, we might think this country is going to hell in a handbasket, but goddammit, we are going to document every single moment of it. Nothing will be lost.
2: Well, that's how you'll know in... Like 10 to 15 years when none of those people could actually be prosecuted or punished. That's when they te- they'll tell right. us anyway. Right. So, Every, I mean, everyone's I mean, got to I mean,
1: release their book.
2: Yes. Like everything else, I'm excited to see the Ken Burns on it where I get (laughs) the full depth of all the information. Like the second you just read that act, I was like, yeah, that's how we know Reagan literally gave money to prove that I was less of a human. (laughs) Like, yeah, we find out all of that stuff just way later when people are tired and exhausted and don't care. The Um, National Archives, come on now. I want to start a hashtag to Find Trump's burner phone because that's all I was thinking the whole time you were talking is that there's a burner phone somewhere in a drawer. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah.
1: So, not only the records that have already been turned over are a little sus, but now that we know there's just, the, yeah, there is this gap. Now, does that mean no one spoke to anyone in this? Exactly. That time? No, of course not. Um,
2: the, Fine, so- that carrier pigeon, he's going to talk.
1: <laughs> <Some> <laughs> 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 it, it's like it's like every time in somehow every time in Game of Thrones they would like send a raven. I'd always do the same stupid joke was like the raven lands and just like. That's how I would like it to go down. God damn it. um but so yes, you're right actually that now um the committee is looking into whether or not there were burner phones, and according to the rolling uh, to Rolling Stone. There were burner phones. So they've got three sources who say that a guy named Kylie Kramer took uh, one of the phones and used it to communicate with top White House and Trump campaign officials. These are three burner phones that were purchased, (gasps) including Eric Trump, the president's oldest son who leads the family's real estate business, Lara Trump, Eric's wife and former senior Trump campaign consultant, and Mark Meadows, the former White House chief of staff, uh, and Katrina Pearson, a Trump surrogate and campaign consultant. Um Who, my new least favorite Katrina. God damn it. The first one being the hurricane, obviously. <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> but also I was joking about burner phones. What? No, 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 no that's
1: no, I was like, "Oh, she's she's given up the ghost." No, no, no. That's exactly no. how it went down. So I did not think you were going to say that. No, no, no. I mean, these guys are as scummy as you your mind can go. Wow. Like it's just not fair. Anything we can imagine they do, they've already done it. Uh, Kramer, by the way, helped plan the Ellipse rally, which was the, the rally that Trump spoke at, that Rudy Giuliani spoke at, a bunch of other people. So he, he directed an aide to pick up three burner phones the day before Jan 6, according to three sources. Yeah. And one of the sources was a member of the March for Trump team. Um, and he insisted that Kramer said the phone should be purchased using cash and described this as being of the utmost importance. Yeah. What? and and like what you know the thing is is like all of this is here's what here's what i will say none of this surprises me i do kind of want to see the text message from trump that's like lol one of them has a holocaust denier shirt you know what i mean like i need that shirt whatever the fuck racist thing he's gonna say like i want because you like, mean- you want the
2: texts that are him like live tweeting the insurrection, and yes. it's just like his real time everything.
1: Yeah, I'm watching the girl from Plainville on Hulu, you know, the woman who convinced oh, her I boyfriend. That yet. Yes, I have thoughts, but convinced her boyfriend to kill himself, and it's just that it's like endless text messages back and forth, like you know. When are you gonna smear the feces on Nancy Pelosi's desk? I'm waiting. You know, like maybe there was a photo of it. Just and and it's here's what I said. I've said this before, but I really feel it, it's ma- it's all clicking. I'm putting the fucking pieces together. Which is, you see, the way the most recent sort of like MAGA rally has gone down, which is this the truckers thing, right? The like March for I don't know. What are they marching? I I forgot what it's called, but like the truckers being anti-vaxxers and like anti-Biden and let's go Brandon, blah, 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 blah. That shit fizzled out super quick. There's and and it's so clear why. Why did why do things like the Tea Party catch fire, create incredible, like insane right wing movements? Why do things like critical race theory and all this trans hate, why do those things catch fire? It's because they're all fucking astroturfed by wealthy. Think tanks, politicians, wives of Supreme Court justices. The same with January 6th. You see all the people involved and you're like, oh, yeah, they all wanted this to succeed. It was an inside-outside plan uh, involving alternate electors on the inside and a straight-up storming the Bastille on the outside. So, yeah, that's why it was so successful because they all wanted it to succeed. Like, nothing on the right happens – in an organic way. You know. It's all astroturfed. So that's that's what I keep on coming back to. Anyway. Well who knows. The, the last call Trump made that day was 6.54. The next call after the silence. And he instructed the operator to call. Dan Scavino Jr. What did the operator say? Like oh sir. Good uh, good, good, to hear from you. Um, have, haven't have heard from you in a while. It's- <laughs> Today was crazy. Yeah, like, have you been watching?
2: <laughs> <laughs> he tried to Amy Schumer the Oscars and just be like, "What I miss? <laughs> is there anything going on?" You guys seem stressed.
1: <laughs> a very important response. My God. Um, anyway, we will see. Uh, last thing I'm going to say on this is uh, important. Is Mark Meadows, obviously a uh, former chief of staff, the last chief of staff um, to Trump wa- has been criminal, held in criminal contempt, not just by the January 6th committee, right? Which is a subsect of Congress, but of of all of the House of Representatives. So the House voted, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's held in criminal contempt. They refer him to the Department of Justice. Who's at the head of the Department of Justice? That's Merrick Garland. Merrick Garland in four months has not done shit. He's not, I mean, I'm, I'm like, he's not arrested him. He's not said you need to turn yourself in or you get arrested. You're being held in criminal contempt. If it were any of us, this would have been over by now. Two other people, the committee just represented for criminal contempt for their contempt for their lack of participation in the committee. So they won't, they won't testify. They won't give over, hand over more documents. Mark Meadows was sort of compliant in the beginning and then he stopped being. So Dan Scavino, the guy who got the last call and Peter Navarro, Um, Again, another one of these sort of weasels that's in the in was in the Trump administration. And here's Garland being asked about it this week by a reporter saying, what what the hell? Why aren't we doing more when it comes to January 6 accountability? And this is what he had to say.
2: And my off-topic question is: It's been coming up on four months now since uh, Congress referred Mark Meadows to you guys for contempt of Congress,
0: asking you to prosecute him. What's taking so long? Uh, uh, again, on your off-topic uh, con- uh, conversation, we don't comment on um, uh, ongoing uh, referrals. This was a referral, um, and uh, so we're not able to comment on that.
1: Great, awesome. So <laughs> that's no, yeah. We're we're nothing. Nothing's happened, and we don't know. And so, but you know, we'll, we'll see. I think there's, there's a the clock is ticking, right? This is, has to be done before the midterms because then the house may flip and become Republican, and then all this criminal contempt shit goes away. Like there's no there's no more. Um, anywho, I don't know. I mean,
2: considering how we saw how quickly some protesters can be snatched up i wash my hands of any real uh consequences being placed on anyone a long time ago like i had way too many friends not trying to get into anywhere end up in the back of a van for half of a night for me to think that they're gonna backtrack and go find whatever dude yep
1: yeah and i mean and and even like even the people who stormed the Capitol, I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, you know, I know that, you know, hundreds have been arrested and charged and that's a small drop in the bucket to the thousands that were there. But I'm like, these are, this is small fish. This is small fry bullshit. We have talked on this show about some of the now sting operations being set up against, against the, like, you know, the, the so-called extremists on the right, which I'm like, part of my mind is like, yeah, yeah, I guess that's okay. You're, you're, Entrapping sometimes innocent people, but also go for the people who actually organize this. Go for the people inside the building. Um, of course, they won't do that. Um, all right. Why don't we go to why don't we go to some comments and then we're going to bring in my guest, my second guest, fat guy named Tiny on Twitch. Do we want to start taking wagers on how long Amazon closes that facility now? I mean, right? Like, and that's this. I don't know. I don't know if they can't afford to, right? Like, where are they? Are they going to go to Jersey? And like, what's going to happen?
2: Well, everything you were saying before, Francesca, I was talking with my mom about, who's actually done a lot of like negotiations on behalf of people for union contracts oh, right. when they like get renewed and stuff like that. And she was like, "What you said about." They are trying to maintain a model and also me having a marketing degree and just looking at people, looking at a piece of paper and being like, okay, this is what we're going to do. We're comparing it to this company, these outputs and all this stuff and thinking that they were going to somehow get... Americans to work in the way that warehouses would work in all the places they can't afford to outsource. Like they're trying to, I think, apply all of that and then be offended at the idea that Americans wouldn't adhere to those labor conditions. Like the idea of someone being so rich and they're the company and being like, even the phrasing of that letter where they're almost like their feelings are hurt <laughs> that you don't want to work there under these conditions. And I think that it is obviously capitalism, but the mental idea of like n- completely disconnecting that these people, that is unacceptable to them. are we have not been put in a situation where our financial desperation has made us take these sacrifices yet yeah like we are a developed country where like people can even go move in with their parents whatever it is that keeps us from being literally on a in a place that doesn't have flooring like until we get that's where they want us to be sure where we could accept the conditions that they get to run other people under
1: Dude, I know. And it, I think we're at a crossroads of like, you know, I think that the pandemic assistance really did help people and gave them, you know, a more of a leg to stand on. And now that a lot of that's running out. Um, I think you're right that, that Amazon and other corporations are banking on the fact that shit's going to get so desperate and so bad. Yes. We talked about Applebee's last week. The CEO getting very – or the one of the executives getting very excited about gas prices because it was going to hurt workers even more. They were going to be even mm. more desperate. So, yeah, your mom's right on the money. Like this is – they're just waiting for shit to get bad. Everything
2: is a game. Like I always think about this. I know this is a really old um, example, but like they – Priced how much it would cost to fix the pinto (laughs) over people dying and what those lawsuits could potentially cost them and made the choice to not fix the car sure. so if you think that they haven't already calculated how desperate or poor we have to get to say yes or no to something like absolutely they are just w- figuring out if they have to even what people have been saying about how much money amazon spent fighting this yeah and how much less it would have been yes it's because of the precedent it would set for past that it would technically be less but they would rather spend 10 times that amount making sure that this never comes up again
1: uh, absolutely um uh, a couple more comments uh, justin crawford says uh, that they work in a book distribution center and amazon is our biggest client they're so disorganized fun uh on trump uh soccer pizza says he was just ordering a lot of pizzas nothing to see here I love that soccer pizza wants to make everything about pizza. Wow, um, got a brand. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What if he was kicking around soccer balls? Uh, Metal Turtle five seventy one says probably that Trump's burner phones are in a make wrapper behind a clogged toilet somewhere. Um, and half uh, thank you for the super chat. Garland on Garland Jeff Curry says Garland looks like he could be related to Mansion. Just saying, that's true. They've got the same sort of weird oh my gosh. middle part. <laughs>
2: It it, knows, it goes all the way to the top.
1: Yes. <laughs> uh, they're the same. They're brothers. you start seeing it everywhere. I don't know.
2: Yes. All the faces just start melting into the same. If you run them, there's gonna be a video that just runs them all super fast, like that old Michael Jackson video. Yes. And you're like, they're kind of the same. Like black person. or white. <laughs> yes, it just morphs. Uh, that's true. Like black John Cena. We just we could go real deep with this theory if we're just gonna go full on. <laughs>
1: who is the black john cena he just went viral because there's a
2: very attractive black man that looks like john cena but black and then john cena reposted him was like hey look at this handsome black guy that looks like me and it's just like (laughs) black john cena but he does look like john cena it's pretty sweet
1: (laughs) must look up later um But for the sitch, let's talk about some things. Um, we're bringing in uh, the assistant professor at the University of Washington's College of Built Environments. Uh, he studies housing policy, affordable housing and homelessness. And he is the co-author of a new book. Uh, homelessness is a housing problem out now through UC Press. Please welcome Greg Colburn.
0: Hello.
1: Hello. hello. You've got the stand up intro. Um, Greg. So you've got a, this is a book slash research paper, right? We can, we can buy this.
0: Uh, You can buy it. Yeah. You can buy it right from the publisher, University of California Press, or uh, that, that firm you were just discussing also sells it. Amazing.
1: Um, That's exciting. And it's, the title is homelessness is a housing problem, which to some of us, it actually is far more controversial of a statement than I think some of us, especially who listen to this podcast would probably imagine. Um, But what I wanted wanted to ask you, so you worked with policy analyst uh, Clayton Page Aldern. What did you guys set out to do? Um, When did you start your research? Um, But what did you set out to do when it came to understanding the current state of homelessness in the United States right now?
0: Yeah. So I I moved to Seattle in 2017 uh, to work at the University of Washington and have been really involved in a lot of conversations in our community around housing and homelessness. And and like L.A. and in New York, uh, we've got a terrible housing crisis here. Um, high rents, uh, high housing costs, and a lot of homelessness. And as I met with people throughout the community, whether it was civic leaders or elected leaders or um, analysts, advocates, my my perception was that people didn't really understand what was driving this crisis, the root cause of the crisis. And therefore, our policy responses were a little bit scattershot in the mm. sense that one day we're worried about drugs, the next day we're worried about mental illness and we're worried about poverty and we're worried about race. And certainly all these issues are really, really important. Um, but I had this hunch and began to do some research that housing costs were in, and really the accessibility of housing was the fundamental driver, and so that was my motivation that that knowledge was known in the academic community. there's a lot of research papers that that people outside the academy never read that have drawn pretty convincing evidence around the relationship between housing costs and homelessness, but that has not filtered into uh, the general population and so I wanted to write a book that was. That was sound from a methodological standpoint, but also accessible to just the average person who says, why is it so bad in L.A. or or San Francisco or Seattle? And, and right. try to answer that question in, in this book.
1: That's great. And obviously we know the right wing's answer is uh, because these are democratic cities and they just give handouts to people and whatever, you know. And there's like so many myths that you run up against and that I think you disproved in your research. Um, what are like the most common myths? I mean, I, I sort of ironically laid a couple of them out, but like how real is that idea that like, well, uh, yeah, yeah, homeless people go to cities because they get free stuff in cities or the homeless people, cities breed homeless? like what is that <laughs> Democrats create homeless folks? I don't know like this. There's so many myths. What, what did you what do you feel like are the most common for why yes. homelessness exists?
0: Yeah. Uh, So the ones we address in the book are um, we group them into a couple categories. They're what we would call individual categories. And those would be um, poverty, um, uh, mental illness, uh, drugs, bad luck. um, uh, And and then we talk about some community level factors, which is weather. People always tell me the weather causes homelessness. And we demonstrate in the book that that, in fact, doesn't uh, isn't the case. But this idea of low income mobility and and homelessness magnets is a really powerful one. And so we spend a lot of time talking about and use data to demonstrate that there's not disproportionate mobility um, into certain cities. There is low low income mobility all over the United States. People are always moving, uh, but there is no evidence to support that people are moving to Seattle or Los Angeles because of our generous benefits. And we look at the primary federal welfare benefit uh, and look at the generosity of that and demonstrate that there is really no evidence of, of that mobility. Um, but it is a really sticky and it's, and it's frankly, not just Republicans. I have a lot of, of people, friends who are, who are, you know, left leaning who also say, well, of course it's the weather of, of course it's because we have generous benefits. And, um, and it's just, it's well, not supported in by Seattle,
1: any- Let's let's just dispel that for right now. Okay. Keep going. <laughs>
0: right. um, and so now, now when I, when, But what I think is really important, though, is because people say, well, you're telling me that poverty doesn't cause homelessness. And and I want to say, no, that's not the case. It's very clear that poverty is an individual cause of homelessness. What we're saying is that the consequences of poverty or other vulnerabilities are different in some locations than others. Mm. So Detroit is the most impoverished city in the country. It has one fifth of the uh, homeless population of the high homeless coastal cities. New York, Boston, D.C., Seattle, San Francisco, L.A. And so it's a sort of counterintuitive point um, in the sense that they have way more poverty. Seattle, San Francisco are very affluent cities, right? When you just look at median incomes and the percentage of people below the poverty line, it's very low. So we're an affluent city. We have way more homelessness. And Detroit is a relatively poor city and has has way less homelessness. And so the point is, is that you have an interaction between individual factors and what's going on in the community. Yeah. And so. There is drug use all around the country. Every community has people with substance use disorders. Every community has people with mental illness. Um, and, I t- and when people say, well, this is clearly a drug problem, Greg, I just saw this person on the street who is addicted. I said, yes, I've seen the same people. Um, but if the opioid em- epidemic is driving this crisis, why don't we have homelessness in Arkansas and in West Virginia, mm-hmm. right? Which in these communities have absolutely been ravaged by mm-hmm. opioid addiction, right? Which is a tragedy. Um, but the point is they're, they have a lot of problems but one of them isn't isn't uh, homelessness. And so the point is that these two factors come together to reduce it and it's just easier to figure things out when rents are 500 bucks than when they're $2000 a month which right. you know, there's some basic intuition behind that.
1: I mean in population wise like Detroit versus Seattle like I mean because like my mind is like well is it cuz there's fewer people in Detroit but that oh, yeah.
0: We're doing it on a per capita basis. So all these numbers on a per capita basis. So it's not that one city is bigger than the other. It's on a percentage basis.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I really, I, so essentially what you're, I mean, especially when it comes to poverty, you found that even in places that are more impoverished, that doesn't lead to more homelessness. Um, But you did have this really interesting graph that I, a lot of interesting graphs in in the book. Um, But this one that I really liked, which compares the housing supply getting to housing um i'm sort of skipping ahead to the change in population so like as the number of people increase so you have new york and la and sf and seattle is a lot more people and then you have places like austin where there's a lot more people you know 20 plus you know more than 20 percent increase in population but then a pretty big increase in housing (laughs) supply too
2: Um, so you look at all those places they can live.
1: Exactly. So then there's (laughs) incredible, all these places like LA and San Francisco, as the populations have changed, they have not increased the actual supply of housing.
0: That's right. And so elasticity is, and I won't get into the economic details of that, but it's a measure of how responsive your, your housing supply is. And so the quadrants on the right, um, are places that have grown very rapidly. And so Charlotte, North Carolina has grown almost as rapidly as Seattle has over the last decade. Um, but they've built a whole bunch of housing in response. As a result, their rents have stayed lower, their vacancy rates, which is the number in the parentheses there, the 6.5% is their vacancy rate, and those vacancy rates have stayed higher. And so ultimately, they've created a more accommodating housing market, and they have not had the housing crisis that we've had in the lower right quadrant, which is the perfect storm for homelessness. Mm-hmm. Rapid population growth and not building enough housing, and that's Boston, mm-hmm. San Francisco, and Seattle. Right, And so- you know, that is, um, you know, what I say to people when I put this chart up and I said, if you find yourself in the bottom part of that bottom right part of that graph, you're going to have a housing crisis. Yeah. And and, and there's going to be homelessness associated with that. And so while it's tragic, it shouldn't surprise anyone. Mm-hmm.
1: Right. I mean, it, it's sort of proof right here. And yet then you have, you know, this big question of like, well, what kind of housing? And for me, I'm always approaching the question of, oh, we just have more housing, more housing, more housing on the market. You look at places like New York, these luxury condos, you know, staying vacant or here in L.A. as well and all over the place. It's like the kind of housing really does matter. So maybe talk about this like. Like what is what has to happen in addition to more housing?
0: Yeah, it's a great point. So a lot of people say to me, well, Greg, you're just saying more housing helps this, And if we build luxury condos, will that solve homelessness? The answer to that question is no. Um, I will say, and I say this to uh, developer colleagues in Seattle, is we still need more housing. We need more market rate housing. So build away, do it, because we have a lot of people in this community who can't find housing, even mm-hmm. at, at higher ends. What we need is more housing at all levels. And so what we should do is create an environment in which a lot of market rate housing can be built. And that should be denser. It should be multifamily. We shouldn't just be building single family homes. And then we need middle-income housing, we need workforce housing, we need affordable housing, and we need supportive housing for people experiencing homelessness. And as you move down the income ladder, Mm -hmm. there is a role for the public sector in ensuring that housing can be built that's affordable for people who have lower incomes. And so I say, it's kind of like an exam. It's it's always E or D. All the above. Like we need housing at all those levels. And and if we think that only market rate housing can fix this, we're fooling ourselves. Mm-hmm. And therefore, there is a role for the government to to um, make sure that there is housing that's affordable. I mean, the minimum wage is fifteen dollars in Seattle, full time. That's thirty grand a year. You can't afford two thousand dollar rents on thirty thousand dollars a year. And therefore, um, I you know I always say to folks that I. I think there's a credible role for the government here. And the government's been involved in housing for a long time in the United States, since the 1930s. And, um, and uh, you know, ultimately we, that needs to happen because the math doesn't work for pr- the private market to build housing that's affordable for folks who are earning those those kinds of incomes and, and below.
1: But also the question of market rate. My question, like for you guys, how much did you study like the, like the actual real estate market? Um, did you factor that into the lobbyists, the money they have, the power they have, um, which I think is really hamstrung. I mean, it's completely hamstrung our political process here in California. We can't get rent control to save our lives. I mean, it's just like every <sighs> single time they pull out all the stops and, and, and we defeat it in one way or another, um, expanding, you know, a protection of any kind of rent control. So, yeah, what, what are your thoughts on the way the housing market has been allowed to just kind of run amok?
0: That's right. That's right. I mean, there are powerful interests and frankly, single family homeowners are arguably one of the most powerful blocks when it comes to very localized decisions around housing. And so, and I, I always say I live in a single family home. And so I'm not disparaging all people who live in single family homes because I happen to live in one, but, um, I'm pointing the finger at myself as well. But over the last 50 years, single family homeowners have been very reluctant to allow multifamily housing to be built in their neighborhoods, and especially Mm. multifamily housing that's designed to serve people with low incomes. And so we've got a long legacy all around the country of very, very exclusionary practices. And so we're now starting to see in California and Oregon and Washington and on the West Coast, some changes, they're small, but there are interests who have had a pretty good run for the last couple of generations that are not that excited about these changes and that that's what you're exactly talking about and so it is a political challenge to change zoning to change permitting to change the way we think about our cities and to make them more accommodating for more folks and and like a lot of major social change it can be it can be difficult because for the people for whom this has been a good run they're reluctant to, to make those changes so you're exactly right and that's why I think A lot of the housing policy changes that most people would say, this makes a lot of intuitive sense. Mm -hmm. For example, Washington, we just tried to upzone around transit, meaning you've got light rail coming through. Why wouldn't we build a whole bunch of housing around there? And we had Republicans and Democrats vote against that. And that was a huge frustration for a lot of people in our state because it was a, it would have been an easy win and an easy way to create more housing that was more accessible to more folks. And so it's, um, it's, it's hard work, it's hard work, but we have to keep doing it.
1: We have this Senate bill in the California to create more multifamily, um, multifamily like homes and neighborhoods, and you've got like all these these uh, all these cities suing, who are suing? They're <laughs> suing over that bill. Like, how dare you create like multifamily units uh, and homes in my neighborhood? And that's the other thing. Like, I don't know about you, Katrina. Like, I rent, and yes. you know. This is the the renters have no fucking political power whatsoever. And yet we make up, you know, I don't know, you know the numbers like disproportionately. We're we're a lot of renters out there, but we don't have any say. When then when you finally own a home. Then you're supposed to just like sick it on all your neighbor. You know, you just turn around Mm -hmm. and become this like evil villain who's that hates
2: everyone that like needs to live in an apartment. Well, I was thinking when you were talking about market price and these multi-level homes, it's like I've multiple times in L.A. accidentally tried to get into an apartment that I make too much money as a single person to be in because that's my budget. So like, what is the different, like, I see multi-level homes go up and I'm happy, but I'm jealous because that's what I can afford, but I am not, uh, I am, you're not a family down enough. I need to like mess up and have like two children out of wedlock so that I can afford rent basically is what would help me. Like, do you mean to, to
1: like qualify?
2: Yes, to qualify. Like I, as a single person, do not qualify for the housing in LA that is technically in my budget. And if I, I lucked out, I'm in a rent controlled place right now. Everyone I know in LA that's in a rent controlled place will eat will be there until they die. And I'm lucky. Where a lot of people get pushed out, they'll right. be the last person in their unit, and they're actively not getting maintenance, not getting, you know what I mean? Yes, because they know they're the last person paying not even $500, like just paying a decent amount of rent, but they know as soon as they get out, they can double it. So where is it for us, these people that like, I hate to try to advocate for myself where there's still people that can't pay rent at all, but it's like, there are a bunch of people in the middle that we can't pay rent either (laughs) or barely can or whatever it looks like, I don't know. So market, how is there a way for, like you were saying, Francesca, for it not to just be like, I own this building and this is how much you have to pay to live everywhere. Like them just even communicating and being like, well, like gas stations where it's like, well, if we all make rent insane, they will have to pay it from one of us (laughs) kind of thing. I I don't know.
1: I mean, yeah, I do think there's going to be, there's a lot more organizing that's been happening, especially post pandemic. I think the extension of like um, here in California um, of the eviction moratorium is good, but when that comes slamming down, Uh, And we don't really have a solution for it. Uh, It's I mean, yeah, I think it's it is really important to see. I've I've I'm always struck. I used to live in San Francisco and I'm always struck by this. Like, you know, you see people who are uh, homeless, unhoused folks who have they clearly have jobs, clearly have jobs. Saw a man, he's got his cat on his leash. Cat is waiting outside of his tent and he's like cleaning his tent as the cat is just waiting for him. And you just like that kind of shit where you're like, yes, there's mental illness. Yes. There's drug addiction within unhoused communities. But like, there's also people who have nine to fives who can't afford to live wherever the hell else they have to be because they're like dishwashers and they got to get up and be there at five in the morning. And like, Just watching this man, like, calmly clean out his tent, I was like, that would be me. Like, that's my life. Being like, I need to make sure my tent is clean. Ramona, you stay there on your leash. Uh, You know, like, let's make sure this is good. Like, it was just very... Is that
2: telling that we, as working people, have, like, fully already envision the kind of ha- unhoused person we would be because I've all, <laughs> yeah. also done this a like, oh, I know how I'm gonna acclimate I know if this goes down and I because even the joke or not the my mom says it like not a joke but just the saying that a, a lot of Americans are two paychecks away yeah. yeah from that anyway and just being like dude I know exactly what I would have to do if it went down I'm selling the last of the stuff I'm going back
1: into my car like I know what's up like we right. all have the plan Yeah. I I wanted to ask you, um, Greg, a little bit more. Um, Maybe you already said this, but just kind of like when it comes to mental illness, I think that and drug addiction, like the sprawl across the United States. Did you find more concentrations in places that have higher homeless populations or that didn't bear out?
0: No, it it doesn't bear out. There's actually almost no relationship between rates of mental illness and and substance use disorders and homelessness. Um, And, you know, I actually sketched them down. Um, so California, um, Louisiana, Alaska and Michigan have the same rates of, of substance use disorders as California, radically different, radically different, uh, rates of homelessness. Um, the highest, I just sketched these down the highest States or the States with the highest rates of substance use disorders are Colorado, Rhode Island, Wisconsin, and North Dakota. Um, not, not the the homeless hotspots that you would suggest. And so, um, Again, the point is when you, when you layer on those vulnerabilities with housing costs, you, you get homelessness. And the other thing I would say that's really important for, for people, as, especially if you're living on the West Coast where you see a lot of unsheltered homelessness, is um, you may confront people who are experiencing mental illness or who are addicted. And the reality is, and we know from research is, that may not be the cause of their homelessness. It may be the consequence of their homelessness. Yeah. Homelessness is unbelievably traumatic. Mm. unbelievably traumatic. And I tell people, and, and this isn't a joke, that I would also medicate if I were experiencing homelessness. I mean, I come home from a, you know, a long week at work and I have a glass of wine with my wife, right? If you are living under constant stress day after day after day, mental illness is a logical outcome. Addiction is a logical outcome as a, as a coping mechanism. And so um, I, I, it's really important for us to remember, and, and I see it all the time in Seattle, I'm downtown all the time, this may be a consequence of a a really bad uh, experience that people are having. And so it's, um, we got to figure out how to house people. And that's going to require political change. It's going to require resources. And if we continue to blame drugs and mental illness, we are, um, one, it's, I think it's improper because the data doesn't support it. And it's, um, and it's not going to help us fix the problem. I tell people we could treat all the, all the addiction in Seattle, and we'd still have a huge homelessness problem
1: mm that yes yes that's, that's so important yeah that's so important to remember and and okay so in terms of political openings like I feel like there is a hopeful note that the the book ends on um, that, that we are starting to have these conversations that it's so clear that we've reached this fever pitch what what do you guys identify as sort of areas for better policy better housing policy to to, to, to sort of break through
0: sure well I would say um, I'm gonna, Give three responses or three parts um, to your to your good question. Yeah. And the first one is is that um, one of the things that I like about work one, one it's a, this is a hard topic to research and think about all day. But one of the things that I that I appreciate about it is that we don't suffer from apathy around homelessness. People care deeply about homelessness. They might be pissed off about it. They might think that this is an outrage. But unlike climate change, where a lot of people are like I don't even know what to do. Maybe right. I buy a different car. Right. The problem is so big and people don't care. And so. Um, that People care about homelessness, and so it will get attention, and that's, that's an important first step. Um, the, the second thing is that um, we make policy change during crises. That's what we've done in the United States throughout history. If you look at all the major policy changes, they always happen during depressions or wars or pandemics, generally speaking. And this is approaching the. We got a few example.
1: of those going right now. Greg. Oh, exactly. <laughs> we
0: all these opportunities right now, um, and so um, that is that is an interesting opportunity. And the third reason that I'm optimistic is. We as a country decided when veterans came back from Iraq and Afghanistan that they shouldn't be homeless. And this was because of the experience they had in the Vietnam generation, that many typically men in that case were coming back from Vietnam and had very, very difficult lives and were disproportionately represented in the homeless population. And so political leaders from both parties said, we don't feel good if people coming back from serving our country are experiencing homelessness. And so what do we do? We gave them housing and we cut veteran homelessness by 50% in 10 years. And so when people say, well, Greg, what evidence do you have that providing housing will end this? I'll say, we just cut veteran homelessness by 50%. Now, the question is, will we apply the same logic to people who didn't serve in the armed forces? And that's a political question. It's a question of resources, a question of values. And that's you know, obviously a topic for conversation. But I'm confident that we can do this. Yeah. Um, there, are, there are other huge issues, climate change, racism, poverty that are far, far bigger that probably we'll still be wrestling with you know, when I'm no longer on this earth. We could end homelessness. And that gives me that gives me, um, you know, rays of, of sunshine and an otherwise pretty dismal thing. And I think the the openings are there in terms of, of zoning and, and resources for housing and, and the issues that we discussed before. And, and it's starting to get attention. I think we will get there because these cities will be forced to do something. And that yes. that will it's too bad it took this long, but I think something will happen.
1: Absolutely. And and you know, and I also think that this is colliding with the Black Lives Matter and the questions, the discussions around the prison industrial complex uh and, and the movements there, which is, you know, as much as I believe it, they've been ignored on the federal level, I do think the dovetailing of like, oh, you can't just lock up your problems, you know, like Correct. you can't just rely on police. In fact, they're probably the last people you want to rely on in a lot of situations. And this is all kind of um coming to a head. So it feels dark now, but I'm Hopeful. Everybody. Uh, homelessness is a housing problem. Um, Greg Colburn. Get get the book. Read it. Send it to your folks and friends. And again, this is something that crosses. It is not just Republicans who have strong feelings about this. In fact, yep. because a lot of these cities are left leaning or liberal leaning. It's a lot of Democratic voters who have yep. really retrograde thoughts on on this topic. Um, so anyway, uh <laughs> Greg, thank you so much. Is there anything else you need? You want to add? Uh,
0: I, no, I would just say that um, the, the last point I would make, and, and thank you for having me on, I really appreciate it, is yeah. that um, this is a really complex issue. And I don't want everyone to leave here thinking, well, it's just so easy. We just build housing. We take care of it. There are all sorts of interacting factors here when we think about Structural inequalities in terms of education and healthcare, and many of them are race-based. And so, when we put all those together, it helps to explain why we have huge racial disparities in the homeless population. And so, um, we have a lot of work to do as a society. And and the, and the, the most vulnerable in society. And, and when we look at the demographics of those, we see the effects of these disproportionalities throughout society. And and so, there's it. That's that's kind of a bummer, but it's it's the reality, and we have to confront that if we're going to really address this issue. But thanks so much for having yeah. me and. and- and i appreciate
1: (laughs) yeah thank you greg thanks for being on take good care of yourself um my solution is um that the real estate industry needs to go the fuck away they've had it long enough like these fucking developers these big builders like uh -uh, uh-uh someone it was talking about adus in the chat
2: And that as a housing alternative. And I spent a large part of actually my pandemic time studying them and making floor plans and learning about gray water tanks and a lot of other cool stuff. Oh, Um, yeah. But this city, like looking up codes and things um, about ADUs that you're allowed to have within L.A. city limits and all of the requirements are still so based. So hard. visuals and classism they're hard but they're also like it has to be the second structure behind the building the pitch has to have the roof has to have a certain pitch but if you look at the different kinds of pitches um the lowest one to me just makes it like they don't want it to look like a mobile home Mm. everything is just like you can have the adus but when you look at like the bulleted list they just don't want a bunch of ugly houses in la like a lot of the Um, roadblocks to it just being your main place of living or why homeowners can have a second one and make more money off of it but like you can't have an afford, you can't buy land in L.A. Have an affordable home and put that on it, right? You they're trying to any loophole that we are trying to build. I just because everyone was like ADUs, and I was like, I totally agree. Looked into it, like, and back to what you're saying about real estate is like any loophole we try to make, people will immediately put into effect, okay? Well, let me make sure that I either get my cut when that kind of housing becomes legal, yeah, or. Will make it again secondary income for someone who's already able to win in the market the way it
1: is right totally now. Oh, but. that's so true. No, and I, and it again. I think it is like it's these single family homeowners. It's and that's that's the re, it's the sad and real reality of like these stank ass people on next door who are like, there's that homeless man again. You know, like we know who these people are, and they're not like raging. I mean, they're racist, but not like they're not you know MAGA,
0: not
2: the raging kind, not the <laughs> raging
1: kind. You know,
2: they're like mild.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're different. Mm, it's like a fine wine. Um, and anyway, and and of course, politicians are politicians. Don't give a shit about renters. Who cares? They don't care about us. They care about the people who are homeowners. Homeowners are like, no, we don't want any more units here, and. Uh,
2: uh, uh anyway and absolutely what you're saying francesca about slam the door behind you as soon as you get it is like i'm a homeowner and now this is my domain and i don't want your ugly unsuccess within my eyesight
1: and my lemons fell on your property but they're still technically my lemons so i'll be taking them now thank you just so ridiculous um all right let's move into our final segment our final fun segment before we log off and do maybe a little bonus bish afterwards um In honor of the slap at the Oscars that we have ducked under and will not contribute to the endless discourse, but only in the fun of most fun of ways, I present March Slapness. March Slapness, you guys, this is the slap breakdown. Who deserves to be slapped? All right. Slap bracket. We got a slap bracket straight up. Yes. <laughs> this is a slap bracket. Thank you, producer Paige, for creating it. Yay, um, so for those of you listening as a podcast, we got a sl- slap bracket here. And on, on either side, we have in the lowest, the first, I don't know what we call I don't know. Basketball. We've got Mel Gibson, Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene. They're going head to head. Then we've got Ooh, Ted Cruz yeah. versus Howard Schultz. Then we've got Elon Musk versus Laura Ingram. And then Don Trump Jr. versus Jeff Bezos. Now, you'll notice Rupert Murdoch is coming in as a little bit of a wild card. So whoever wins between Gibson and MTG will go head to head head with Murdoch. So, (laughs) built in head to head. Katrina, start with whichever you want. Who do you think deserves? And we can go, we can agree on this. Um, Yeah. Who deserves to be slapped?
2: i feel like i'm gonna go for the easiest one first Mm -hmm. i mean is is mel gibson like currently bothering anyone with his (laughs) anti-semitism because i want to pick marjorie in that one
1: i think go with your gut i mean i'd have to agree like gibson's the only i'm gonna go that yeah i think we gotta throw gibson between uh, and rupert together um, but we'll we'll address that later. OK, so Mel Gibson Ooh, okay. has been spared. Marjorie Taylor LeGreen got slapped and we're moving ahead. <laughs> Senator Ted Cruz versus Howard Schultz, CEO of Starbucks. Um, to me, this is a no brainer. Mm-hmm. I mean, Howard Schultz, you know, he is a harmless little noodle. Uh, I was just about to say, like CEOs,
2: they trade them out like you're their two years tops. They just <laughs> get their money and then replace them with a new monster. That would be like a wasted slap to me. Exactly. Senators are forever. You <laughs> can that slap last.
1: <laughs> they last for way too long. Um we're going for slap sustainability. <laughs> I wonder if we can oh I can't. Um okay, so let so we're imagining then we're imagining Ted Cruz gets slapped and moves ahead mm-hmm. to face off Marjorie Taylor green or Rupert Murdoch. But let's go over to, yes. to Elon versus Laura Ingram who deserves Ooh. to get slapped. I mean, okay. Cause I
2: feel like I'm going to pay, make my picks based on like, uh, I don't know. They're overall negative. Uh, like impact like global impact Sure, sure. shittiness sure so I want to maybe go Laura but I feel like Elon has a uh, following yes that has a lot of power also so I mean what do you think I'm going to say Laura but I want to know what you think
1: I do look I would I mean personally I'd love to (laughs) slap the shit out of Laura Ingram like Elon Musk I think would be less exciting to slap just even though I I don't like him as much but I I will say this. If Elon got slapped, uh-huh, hit all those little reply guys you were talking about, like they like they'll lose like two inches on the dick immediately. You know what I'm saying? Like they'll freak the fuck out. Whereas like yeah, if I Laura like gets slapped they like
2: hive where it would yeah. just like create a freaking intensity that no one wants to see.
1: But but it's it's but I feel like because he's
2: a Not dude, that
1: scare us. Uh-huh. No, I mean we we all want the beehive on our side, but like I feel like if it were Laura, everyone would be like, "Oh my god, how could you do this to our queen?" Like, whereas like Elon, would be like, "I don't know, man, that dude just got slapped." Like, it'd be very emasculating. For mm. so I'm gonna go with Elon on this. Okay, can I we respect move that her forward? I mean him forward? Yeah, yeah, go for it. Okay, so Elon is getting slapped. Now this one is interesting. Don Trump Jr. currently on cameo. Um. For however, <laughs> I would thought this was interesting too. Keep going. <laughs> versus the big um, the, the Jeff Bezos, the uh, you right. know, Chris Smalls is uh, inarticulate and, and not smart. Um, send you to Mars, but like it's a slap, right? So it's it's can only do so much, as Will Smith found out very, very immediately. The slap can Ooh. only do so much.
2: I wonder. And now you're making me think of something different,
1: which is like, who would
2: learn the most from this slap? Right, right. So now you're making me maybe change my vote on this one. So what do you think? What was it going to well, be? Well, now I'm, I was going to go Jeff, but now I'm thinking Don might learn something from it. Like actually think about it and be like, wow, like I'm just the son. What did I do? And really maybe reflect on some things. <laughs> I don't know. What
1: do you think? I do think that, Junior's been slapped many times. Like, how many times has Trump just bitch slapped him in the Oval Office? Like, that dude...
3: Oh. You know, Jeff
1: he... gives
2: off vibes like he would pay to be slapped, though. <laughs>
1: exactly, he'd be like,
2: like yes, he like you would try to make a Let's point, and then would like a hundred dollars or something, and you would just feel dirty and weird, and like you hadn't really gotten any justice. Like, <laughs> I don't know, I don't know.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I do think I, I'm gonna. I have to move. I think I'm. My vote is Bezos because I do think Junior would kind of like it. That I, I agree with you. <laughs>
2: So let's we're just try to also do for the better, like a slap
1: for like to a slap forward, if you will. A slap forward. <laughs> we'll slap him into uh, into onto this planet and off the uh, whatever, off the blue origin. OK, so we got it, Elon Musk. Jeff Bezos had a good mom, she would say something
2: like that to him about his actions. It'd be like, I'll slap you back down to Earth, just so you know. Yes.
1: If I were Jeff Bezos, yes. I would. I would have taught him. It's wrong to kill mom and pop stores. <laughs> Books are good. Okay, so Elon Musk versus Jeff Bezos. Moving on to the next round. Now, we got M Marjorie Taylor Greene versus Murdoch. Who are you going to slap? Whoa. I mean,
2: Murdoch based off Legacy alone. Yeah. I-, I feel like this is a slap for generations.
1: I would agree with you. This is exactly the pop, pop, pop. Like it is just so many, like every, our future kin, our ancestor. This is like you, he comes up in so many,
2: like he's like if a villain crossed from DC to Marvel, like you cannot listen to a podcast about something bad in history happening without him popping up and like his influence being a part of it.
1: All right. We got some, a lot of Murdoch's, but then we got some, uh, Paulahan Cortez saying Marjorie. I think I was
2: about to say they're doing, I understand the strategy for matchups. They want later though.
1: (laughs) Oh, right. Ultimate (laughs) matchups. Yes. This would be good. And I wonder if the ultimate matchup is they get to be, get like one slaps the other. Anyway, I think we're, we're moving Murdoch ahead. Marjorie. Yes. Yes. We're moving Murdoch. On the face Ted Cruz. Murdoch versus Ted Cruz. This is Whoa. hard. This is a tough matchup. Battle <laughs> right now. I don't I I got to I just need to see Ted Cruz's like disgusting cheeks like jiggling too. just like I want to see that fucking handprint on, on the his same face page with that. It's got to be Ted Cruz, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Ted Cruz. Moving ahead to the final slapness, the slapdown. Oh, wait, the final slap down, someone
2: said their comment made me visualize as the final slapdown, them both simultaneously slapping each other. Oh, that'd Is be that great. I like one? that. That's what I was picturing. A slap out or a slap off?
1: <laughs> yes,
2: that's what someone said in the comments that
1: I agree with now. <laughs> okay, I like this. I like that. I, I'm going with that, and I do think Ted Cruz would have to be in the final. That would mean hmm we've got we've got two very good, but maybe now I'm less than satisfied finalists. Elon oh, versus geez. Bezos. Hmm. Oh, right. Hmm. We didn't choose Laura. We didn't choose Don. They we left them behind and their stupid faces.
2: I mean, but I still stand by Don being left behind. Like, kind of maybe regret, Laura, but... (laughs) Okay, okay. I still stand on sacrificing. Like, they can't all get slapped as much as we want them to. I'm sorry, everyone. I still
1: pick. (laughs) I think, okay, so Elon versus Bezos... (sighs)
2: I feel like Elon maybe still wants to be liked enough that it would affect like you know what I mean? Make him, you know, be like, you know what? I don't want people to want to slap me. Like maybe I need to look inward. I feel like, like he, he would still learn. Has room, he has room
1: to grow more. <laughs> so Bezos that's a slap. that's an argument to slap.
2: Oh, but see, I okay, I want to I wanna slap Bezos more
1: for who needs to be slapped again. Yes. I think who needs to be slapped for sure. Okay, I'll go Bezos then. We're going Bezos? Yeah, what do you say? I mean, I obviously, I mean, Elon Musk has like carb face. And like, again, he, like, I want to, I want to see his, his, his giant head ricocheting. I'm sorry. I don't, I mean, this. yeah, but, but we can leave Elon behind. I'll, I'll go with Jeff. I'll go with Jeff. Will, uh, like someone, you know, here's the thing. No one's put a hand on Jeff Bezos. You know what I'm saying? These billionaires people don't put hands on them. And that's I don't believe in putting hands on comedians. But I believe in putting hands on billionaires. You slap the shit out of a billionaire. Slap a billion slap a Nazi, slap a billionaire. Punch a Nazi, obviously. So I'm going to say, yeah, we go ahead with Bezos. Be- yeah, and Didn't Elon, like,
2: invent some stuff that helped some people recently? Like, isn't he trying to be a little bit? No? That's so funny, Francesca's face. I'm disgusted. So,
1: I I hate Elon (laughs) Musk. I hate Elon Musk so hard. But uh, he donated satellites to ukraine that was the thing i was thinking of and
2: francesca could not be less impressed um also, <laughs> the chat definitely agrees with you about slappable face though which is a factor it's
1: such a fa- exactly it's like bezos's face is like it's not slappable right i get it no i totally understand what you're saying all right what is
2: like i love that you have like actual now there's like cheeks
1: what does chad say <laughs> what does chad say one or two elon or bezos bezos two Elon won. We'll put mm-hmm. this to we'll put this to a vote. Elon won. Bezos two. Nobody let me down now.
2: See, some uh, one person was like, "See, I don't understand why people don't like Elon."
1: Okay, we have got three votes for Elon, two votes. Orf. All right, Bozo. Okay, one and two. Man, this is even. Ooh, a lot of Bezos coming in. Lizzie Nepon says Bezos. Pilly Lamb says as Bezos, Bike Shop Guru Bezos, Five Eye Bezos, uh Conrad (laughs) Taylor voting three times. Conrad, that's not allowed. I think we're moving Bezos ahead. I think this is very. Oh, Pinga Pinto Grande says Bezos. This is all on Twitch, so that's even that's even meaner because that's the Bezos platform. Um, all right, let's move this ass face forward. I love this. Um i'm seeing some multiple voting and some not dino boyer bezos paula jeff jeffy okay we're going with bezos being stuffed (laughs) (laughs) bezos versus ted cruz and a dual slap slap attack both of them getting just will smith slapping here and um yeah i think that works i don't know who wins we will we will tune in to find out oh my god oh my <laughs> god really so that uh, uh page <laughs> page has just created a beautiful graphic if you're listening to the, <laughs> the podcast you've got to go back and watch uh that that looks like god bezos's face is so fucking dumb i'm sorry one of
2: the most realistic photoshops i've seen in a while <laughs>
0: <laughs> i love this so much Paige.
1: <laughs> that's amazing um yeah. All right. So we love it. Ted Cruz versus Jeff Bezos. Thank you for participating and playing in March slapness until next time. Um, Katrina Davis, where can people find you and your
2: work? Um, You can find me at. Katrina Savad which is S-I-V-A-D it's just Davis backwards on everything. It says Twitter but that's my website my Instagram. Everything is the same thing. Amazing. My Venmo if you liked me, you know, whatever.
1: <laughs> Hell yeah. And, yeah. and Venmo? Okay. Um, thank you so much and we'll see you real quick in our bonus yeah. episode. We're talking about the lady who hoarded the fetuses. Holy shit. Could not be more
2: excited. <laughs> this is the kind of here's the thing you guys. Francesca is v- one of the smartest people i know i really wish i was smarter i'm not we're about to get into some shit that i'm excited about let's talk about some creepiness but i know
1: <laughs> about f- storing fetuses is what let's i thought you were going to say <laughs> like
2: no, i just know about creepy people <laughs> like i am
1: going to have references i can't wait <laughs> hell yeah all right katrina be very well take care and everybody thank you guys for sticking around thanks for supporting this show thank you for watching live uh, a couple comments and more petty thanks for this uh super chat snarf snarf like it adam De bomb on twitch i was homeless on and off for a decade this can destroy the mind support is just check boxes not actual care yeah yeah Yes, it, it it is, and this is the thing. It is so individual, and it is so important to not forget. Um, these are people. Uh, these are folks with names, families, uh, lives, and um, you. It's not just a one. It's not. There's never going to be a silver bullet. It is all the things, as Greg said. Uh, D all of the above. So thank you so much for sharing that, uh, Adam. Uh this is revolution. What's up? How you doing? Thanks for the super chat. I live in Mexico to avoid homelessness. <laughs> nice. Very I that is a good strategy actually. Gary Cooper, I think squatting is likely to make a big comeback soon. I think you might be right. Um and uh this revolution. Thank you so much. Homeless comes with a negative stigma. Quote, domestic refugee changes the way we view homelessness. I like that. I like that even more than unhoused, the domestic refugee. Mwah, brilliant. Uh, and for everybody who supports this show, you know what we gotta do. You know what time it is. It is time for the fart song. Yeah thank you to all the new patrons at ten dollars or more kelly kelly b patricia k and Bree s Bree, what's up how you doing girl thanks so much the Big Tippers, Joseph L., you're so, so sweet. The Twitch Subs, Daisy Dragon, Royce Roller, Braided Dragon, Lizzie Nephon, Late Bloomer 66, Matt Gates on a whiteboard bronco, what up, dude? Cat67cat, and the Super Chats again, Hef, Anwar Petty, and this is Revolution Podcast. Thank you guys so much. Thank you to Paige Omek, to Maximilian Inhoff, and to Alexandra Ornest. We stream every Sunday, 580 Eastern on YouTube and Twitch. Follow the Bituation Room on Twitter at podcast on TikTok and Instagram at Franny Fio. And you can also donate to the show via Venmo and Cash App. Uh, TBR-Live on Venmo. TBR-Live on Cash App. Every little bit helps. We will be here next week. Uh, we got such a great show for you. Uh, Wozni Lambre of TYT and so many other places is going to be on the show. So don't miss that. And remember, guys, fight the power, fuck the patriarchy, and don't just bitch about it be about it. Later.